If you were any cooler, he'd still be frozen, baby. We are the SpyFi guys, and this is Austin Powers. Welcome to the SpyFi guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. Christian. And welcome back to our Swinging 60s Spy Summer. All this summer, we've been breaking with our usual formula to cover exclusively fictional spy movies and TV shows made or set during the golden age of spy cinema, the 1960s. So grab your go-go boots and put on your ascot because it's still time to get groovy. And today we have a special guest, returning guest star. Does this make you like recurring guest star now in our credits? Yes. She's semi-recurring. You may remember her from Sergeant Stubby, an American hero. <laughs> it's Sarah. Hi. So today we're talking about Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, the first Austin Powers movie starring Mike Myers and Mike Myers, among other people. I think this is the only one where he's only playing two characters, or as all the other ones, he's playing many more characters. But I thought we'd go with this one. Yeah, because it's very 60s. So I had a lot of memories of this one. It suffers <laughs> from what I call the Borat effect, where I remember kids in high school just saying lines from it or shouting <laughs> lines from it endlessly. And as it turned out, the lines they were all saying were actually from a sequel, not from So have you <laughs> never seen this one before? I have not seen this one. Wow. All right. Sarah, have you seen, you'd seen this before or no? Yes. When I was a kid, I guess, uh, I saw it. But at the time, I wasn't familiar with the source material. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't seen Bond. uh, And so I just thought it was a really, really terrible, not funny, stupid movie. (laughs) Um, Rewatching it now that I am more familiar with the source material. Not nearly as familiar as either of you, (laughs) granted. Um, But I have seen some Bond movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I still think it was largely a stupid movie, but I did quite enjoy when it was a direct parody of Mm -hmm. Bond things. So when they have almost the identical lines from Bond and then just tweak it slightly, or the really outlandish, like straight parody things, I liked liked Mm -hmm. that. I saw this, well, I saw the first 20 minutes of this as part of like a school trip to the movies uh, in fourth grade until my teacher realized it was completely inappropriate and we should go. You saw it in like a theater? Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw it on a bus trip, like a school bus trip and someone (laughs) put it on the bus. I'm pretty sure that's how I saw it. Yeah. By the time that, uh, so that first time I didn't actually know all the Bond tropes, but by the second time I when I watched it all the way through, that's when I knew a lot of the Bond tropes. So I got a lot of those references. Was very amused by them. But why don't we uh, get into the movie? Sure. So here is the one sentence summary of this movie. A 1960s secret agent is brought out of cryo-freeze to oppose his greatest enemy in the 1990s, where his social attitudes are glaringly out of place. One run on long, long sentence. <laughs> A little bit. And I'd say <laughs> social attitudes is a little bit misleading. It's really just his attitude towards women. No, nah, no. Nah, well, I'll, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Let's see. We start with 1967 outside Las Vegas. and an underground lair, we have Dr. Evil looking very, very Blofeld-esque with the cat, the bald head. We don't see his face. And he's gathered... You know, the world's deadliest assassins uh, who somehow, even though they're the world's deadliest assassins, they have had trouble 
assassinating Austin Powers. And to punish them, he starts pushing buttons and killing them off, just like in Thunderball. That is it from a James Bond movie. I was wondering about that. Yeah, it's the, this organization does not tolerate failure. Push a button and then in Thunderbolt, it's just one person who gets the hot seat. But yeah, it's literally a direct homage. So something I was wondering is that, is this an SNL movie? <laughs> oh, because it's got Mike Myers and Will Ferrell? That's right. When I saw Will Ferrell, that's when it jumped out to me as a possibility. But I don't think it is. Arguably, the movie starts maybe a couple of seconds before with the music, because as soon as the music came on in the credits, it's like, oh, God, I hate this music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you talking about the Austin Powers theme? Yes. Yeah. Wait, it doesn't well, start with the... It fades in to the credits with Austin Powersy 60s music. And I don't have a problem with 60s music. But as we faded into this movie, I, I thought immediately, oh, yeah, dang, I hate this. Why am I watching this? <laughs> I had the exact then, opposite reaction to the music because I'm like, ooh, it feels very like 60s Bond. And I liked it. It was vindicated slightly when I saw a really cute cat. So going uh, <laughs> from a timeline perspective and my notes, I wrote, hate this music and then cute cat. <laughs> he doesn't kill all of the assassins. He leaves two of them, Mustafa, played by Will Ferrell, and Frau Farbissina, who I don't remember the actress's name for that, but is basically a cross between, uh, what is it, the, one of the villains from, um, from Russia with Love, whose name escapes me off the top of my head. Another villain from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, whose name, both, who, basically, it's this, like, older German woman stereotype kind of thing. And I think Will Ferrell is wearing some kind of brown face. Yeah, I you mean, guys notice that he's playing a character named Mustafa. So yes, yes. I wonder. Well, I wondered if he was supposed to be Gaddafi based on his offensive hat. Um, eh. But I also probably should have marked the number of times that there were things in this movie that did not age well and would <laughs> definitely not be in a movie today. Yeah, I think that's a lot. Brownface probably probably is one of them yeah but so he saves uh mustafa and frau farbissina he needs them to help him kill austin powers and from there we go right into our credit scene with austin powers playing the iconic soul bossa nova music uh with him dancing all around swinging L 60s london so was this a reference to something where they're like dancing in the streets i feel like it's a beatles reference well, the part where he runs away from the mob of women yeah. is clearly yeah. from A Hard Day's Night. Okay, but I was yeah. kind of referring yeah. to everything else. I think it's just snapshots of a stereotypical 60s, like swinging 60s London. Yeah. The clothing and everything else, yeah. So I know already talked about the music, but to me, the music is like an earworm. Like it, it, <laughs> it goes in your brain and won't leave. And it's just such... It's so associated with Austin Powers that as soon as you hear it, mm -hmm. you're immediately in the world. And I didn't hate it like Sarah did. But I also <laughs> didn't love it like Christian did. So I guess I'm sort of somewhere in the middle. It just was yeah. very, set the tone really well. Yeah, yeah. it's def I agree. It's definitely visceral. And that probably comes from you know me seeing as a kid, not knowing the source material and having everyone constantly quote it. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. That's fair. So I, think, I think that's probably why I had that reaction. Yeah. Well, so at the end of that long sequence um 
which includes like him you know leading a brass band and dancing with uh, london cops all otherwise known as bobbies he flips into his shagwar <laughs> and meets with mrs kensington played by mimi rogers the fact that she's mrs kensington is a reference to mrs peel up from the avengers show from the british avengers and right. Zach, did you recognize the ringtone when there's a uh, phone call? Was it the in like Flint ringtone? It was the in like Flint ringtone. Yeah, I also had to say about Mrs. Kensington that she also has the Mrs. Peel like leather catsuit outfit. Yep, that is also yep. from the Avengers. So we get a call from Basil Exposition, who's basically our like RM character. I loved that his right. name was Exposition. Yep, that brought me <laughs> such joy because he was the like he was the exposition fairy. And I think without him, there probably would be no plot. Like he yeah. popped in every once in a while, gave really quick exposition. Hey, Austin Powers, you have to go break into this thing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, very long scene of him doing that. Yeah, I love his name as exposition. And his yeah. name exposition sounds like it could almost be like a real name. <laughs> I mean, if you don't Cumber think that's a real name, sure, exposition can. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we next have, and so well, he tells us that Doctor Evil's planning a trap at the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club here in Swinging London. And he calls it a swinging shindag. <laughs> yeah. So they get to the club, which has a big boy um, statue on top of it. Have you guys ever been to a big boy? No. Aren't those from the Fallout games? <laughs> no. Yes, that's where I've seen them. I've seen them in the Fallout games. I knew I recognized them from somewhere. That actually exists. They're a chain of restaurants, like just like diners. It seems very American. I was surprised to see it in London. That's a great point. I don't know. Huh. They go to the uh, to the club. Nice musical interlude. Um, but it's I, called like Peppermint and something. And I yeah. The credit. You definitely recognize it if you heard it. Incense peppermints. Yeah. Yeah. You notice Andy Warhol in the club? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so they're trying to strategize what to do. Waitress is coming to take Austin's drink, and he punches the waitress out. But yes. twist, the waitress is a man in disguise and is one of Dr. Evil's assassins. So it's okay that Austin keeping, hit her. I was going to say, for those keeping track of things that I don't think would be in movies now, the mildly transphobic that's no woman, that's a man line. Yeah, would probably yeah. make the cut. Yeah. yeah. What about the violence against women? That's not great either. <laughs> no, it's not. Even if it turns out not to be, yeah. So they disarm him, are about to get him to talk, when Dr. Evil kills the assassin and runs away. And it looks like it's clearly not Mike Myers, by the way. He's like <laughs> doing those physical movements. He runs into a cryogenic freezing chamber and takes off in the big boy, which is secretly a rocket. I did like that the cryogenic chamber said like yes. cryogenic beginning or something like that. And <laughs> right? it was stuck on with stickers. Like it says beginning permanently on the outside. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. And we next go to 30 years later. So 1997. I don't want to think about how long ago that was. Yeah, no, the year when greed and corruption ruled again. I thought that was funny, especially looking back mm-hmm. from in a post twenty twenty world, looking back at you know nineteen ninety seven as the year of greed and corruption. Nineteen ninety seven was the height of the American Empire, basically. <laughs> so we go to a NORAD tracking station. They've seen the big boy rocket, and it disappears over Nevada. Which, if 
you remember, is where Dr. Evers' secret lair was. So now this American general who was in charge of the NORAD station says he has to go to London. And we cut to London, the Ministry of Defense. Find out that Austin Powers volunteered to be frozen, which did this remind you of in Life Flint, Zach? Yes, all of this stuff with the cryo freeze. So Sarah, you missed it. Basically, the bad guys sort of say to our hero, think of it, Mr. Flint. You could be immortal. You could live forever. Cryo freeze. Mm. And he's just not having it. He's like, sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but something I wanted to say about this is mm-hmm. I wanted to see the part where he volunteers to get frozen. Mm-hmm. For the sake of moving the plot along, I was okay with not seeing it. From a storytelling perspective, I would have rather known why Dr. Evil decided to freeze himself for seemingly an arbitrary amount of time. Why couldn't he just have escaped in the 60s? Why did he freeze himself? Why did he freeze himself specifically for 30 years? None of that is actually explained, but that's okay. It's explained because he knew by that time greed and corruption would rule again. Of course. course. Well, maybe he thought Austin Powers would be too old to foil him. Maybe. That makes sense. And I don't mean to keep harping on why Austin froze himself, but if if his goal was to fight Dr. Evil, I never got the sense that he disliked Dr. Evil that much. That's his sworn nemesis. But they say that, but they don't show it. Uh, Well, again, it's really just trading in on that Bond vibe where you know okay he's the world's greatest super spy this is the world's greatest villain so if you have that context already you don't need to be known told anymore that's true it's never really personal for bond i get the impression not even in license to kill okay but in honor magic secret service okay fine that's an exception <laughs> but let's move uh-huh. on and all all of the blowfeld stuff like all, basically all of the connery movies besides goldfinger and dr no i guess yeah mm. anyway so yeah. let's move on so Austin is held in the celebrity vault, and I noticed the the only two other people in the celebrity vault you see are Gary Coleman and Vanilla Ice. I did laugh mm-hmm. at Vanilla Ice being in there. <laughs> the double ice joke. I thought that was good. Yeah. Oh, I just got that. Not free. <laughs> so they they start the unfreezing process, and there are five stages of the process: the laser cutting phase, the warm liquid goo phase, reanimation phase, cleansing phase, and evacuation so before i say bad things about this scene i first want to say that um it's funny when the russian intelligence guy was there and austin powers has this 60s mindset where we're still in the cold war he's like russian intelligence so that's not till later oh damn it um okay i'll save that comment for later that pretend well the, the only thing i have between then and now is the peeing joke, aka yeah. the evacuation phase. This movie does this a lot, where they harp on one joke for a really long time, and it's essentially the same joke about five times. And I think it works once near the end of the movie, mm. but I think they only should have done it once. So we mm. see him pee for like five minutes, and then later we see uh, Will Ferrell die for like five minutes like there we see them laugh maniacally towards the un for like five minutes we we don't need i think every joke to be elongated like that i would have liked so they're go what they're going on is the premise that it's funny and then it gets tired of them but then it goes on for so long that it becomes funny again i mean i appreciate that that's what they were trying to do but they did it they did it a lot I'm sure in 1997, it was new and brilliant. But after 15 <laughs> seasons of Family Guy, oh. yeah. 
Yeah. Like something mildly yeah. funny that goes on for a really long time has been done to death. Anyway, so we move on to when he's reanimated, apparently. And yes, so not only is there yeah British intelligence because it's the Ministry of Defense, uh, the American intelligence, but yeah, there's Russian intelligence. Just he's like, are you mad? You know, Basil's like, Cold War's over. And it's like, oh, well, finally those capitalist pigs will pay for their crimes. Hey, comrade, eh? I like that line. Also looking back at the... No, 1997. A lot has changed since the 60s, and now we're friends with the Russians. Well, <laughs> a lot has changed since 1997, and now we are not friends with the Russians. Yeah. The Russian general, this part, you may recognize him as he was Peter Parker's landlord in the oh, yeah. Spider Man movies. And he's in a lot of stuff. I, I watched it with Alana, my sister, who you may remember from Spy Kids, and this was her favorite part when he thinks the Russians have won the Cold War. <laughs> Yes, but obviously Basil explains, no, we won. And he's like, ooh, yay, capitalism. That's our man, very loyal. Yeah, they bring Austin up to speed, and he'll be working with Miss Kensington, who is Mrs. Kensington's daughter, and she's played by Elizabeth Hurley. So they did this in Casino Royale. So Sarah, I know you have not seen the old Casino Royale, but they do the same joke where old James Bond comes from retirement. He's like, Money Penny, you look great. You haven't aged a day. And she's like, I'm Money Penny's daughter. <laughs> it's really awkward. Also, I can't believe Miss Kensington has like a normal name and not some kind of crazy <laughs> parody or some kind of sexual innuendo we'll name. I know we get one those. later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Her job is to acclimatize Austin to the 90s. And <laughs> like, mm -hmm. wow, that's a terrible job. I'm so sorry. And this, this is where we get our first Austin being creepy. <laughs> or maybe an understatement. Yep. Anything you want to say about that? I, I, have, I have many thoughts. And that's about his treatment towards this character in general and towards women in general. When he tries and fails to have a romantic relationship, let's say, with this character, and she says no, and then sort of looks and smiles to the camera really coyly. I have a huge problem with that because it yep. perpetuates this myth that when women say no, we mean yes. And I think that was also a very popular sort of conceit mm -hmm. in the 90s. And part of the reason that I remember disliking this movie was because of the way that the main character treats women. Now, I understand that it is parroting James Bond and a lot of the stuff that he does is directly taken from James Bond movies but I have a problem with the way that James Bond does it too. The way he treats what's-her-face, uh, the pussy galore, vagina, whatever her name is. A lot of vagina. Like, yes. His whole relationship with her like is I know directly taken from from Bond but it's still, I don't think it sufficiently condemns it enough in its in its parody. I think it just sort of straight takes it and I don't think it condemns it. I understand that this movie is supposed to be funny and the joke <laughs> is that, and, and no, no, I understand it's supposed to be a running joke through the movie that although he's really gross and really creepy and really unattractive, women keep falling for him anyway. But it's not that funny and repeating it over and over through the movie doesn't make it funnier. So I would Well, they only really have, well, it's really only in the beginning in the 60s where we have that whereas in the like throughout the 90s other than a lot of vagina no one well, else and the fembots like fembots the fembots oh. fembots he does a very long like easily right, well, let's, three let's to get seven to, minute let's dance get let's get to there that's a long time so let's get let's get through okay. the movie okay okay fine we have him picking up his personal effects 
I like the joke where it's, he's picking up as that for danger powers. No, no, danger is my middle name. Like it literally is. Yes. I mean, I, I enjoyed the joke, and so this is the first appearance of the Swedish-made penis enlarger. I liked that that, that for some reason. Because it's Swedish made, it had a tiny Swedish Swedish flag on it. Sure. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Oh, it was hard to miss, but yes. <laughs> I I was maybe trying not to look. Maybe face palming. Yeah. And um, and again, this is another one of those cases where maybe the joke goes on too long. Like especially my favorite part of this is the where he says to Vanessa, sort of thing isn't my bag, baby. And then one book, Swedish made penis enlarges, and me, this sort of thing is my bag, baby. <laughs> I thought that was a fun, funny joke. It was funny. It doesn't make much sense that he'd be ashamed of it, but he wrote a book about it. Yeah. But That's, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think about it too hard. And so they go off onto his private jet, which is a 747 or 737. And we get the first of the, these, like, I call them the groovy transitions where it's like him and mm. a band and it's very psychedelic looking. And I, and I, I enjoyed those. And the the music is appropriately you know groovy enough does bond yeah, I, do that did i miss no. did I miss that, that i think nope. that's like a. I i haven't seen a hard day's night but i feel like that's something a product of that era uh, i don't remember that in a hard day's night that doesn't mean it didn't happen they serve the same function as the bat signal flying in and out in batman 67 yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true so we next go to dr evil's underground lair he's been in frozen as well unfortunately they're feline complications in the unfreezing process and mr bigglesworth his cat is now one of those creepy naked cats yeah i hated that you didn't like yeah. it either sarah i did not stop abusing cats thanks even Love as sarah. a joke so th we already talked about this is they, they kill will ferrell yeah they, they take mm -hmm. their sweet time doing it mm -hmm. yes I, i'd like that joke i'm just gonna say it you know <laughs> okay I like it better than the peeing. Because it keeps, it keeps going on. And then, you, you know, when they said, you think it's done when he says, you shot me. And you think it's done. You shot me in the arm. So it, it just, it, came, it went long enough and then became funny again. So we get, this is where we get ever introduced to everyone. Frau Farbissina, we find out she founded the militant arm of the Salvation Army. Random Task, who's an odd job ripoff. But instead mm -hmm. of a hat, he throws a shoe. Mm -hmm. And then we get Patty O'Brien, who's a terrible Irish stereotype. Well, I don't know. Zach, what do you think about this joke about the Lucky Charms? It was great until they explained it. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it when he said, they're after me, Lucky Charms. I was like, huh, all right. But then, then they laughed for like seven minutes, and then they explained it. We were so close to it being funny. <laughs> yeah, I would have had him say it, have them laugh, have him be like, what? And then just cut, you know? Hmm. And then we also get introduced to Dr. Evil's number two man, number two, who has an eye patch, who's basically just Emilio Largo from Thunderball. So he runs Virtucon, which is the legitimate face of the evil empire. During those 30 years, changed from volatile chemicals to telecommunications. And it's not a con. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it's just because I'm kind of a geek, but when I heard Virtucon, it's like, oh, that sounds like a fun convention <laughs> that maybe I want to go to. Yeah, I, I can see that. It's a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> favorite joke here was the you know where they have like the map of the u.s and all the different places they have shipping and production companies and factories and one of the last ones and the you know factory in wherever that builds models of factories i did like that yes and that's a direct call to diamonds i'm, I'm not gonna name every one of these like direct <laughs> but like the ones that 
really stood out to me. Like, okay. it's a plot point in Diamonds Are Forever where Blofeld's taken over someone else's corporation and has like the little model, like literal models of the factories. And then they figure out that, oh, wait, and something in Baja, California. I was like, what? I don't have anything in Baja, California. And nice. so we have this uh, Dr. Evil explains his plans. I like this joke. So he had, first he has a scheme to blackmail Prince Charles to make it appear that he's had an affair and they have to divorce. Yeah, how well do you remember your 90s current events? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're divorced. That's a pr- that was a pretty big thing. I remember that. The next is to create a hole in the ozone layer, which I'm sure everyone remembers that. Very 90s <laughs> yeah. talking about yeah. the hole in the ozone. Well, and of course, this scene has some of the most famous Dr. Evil lines of all time. One million dollars. Throw me a freaking bone here. Oh, that too, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, but they decide to do an old fallback of, all right, steal a nuke and hold the world for ransom, which is exactly what they did in Thunderball. That's great. The fact that it's like their backup plan really amused me. I was watching this with Carolyn, who listeners may remember from our Sergeant Stubby podcast. And she once he said a million dollars, and she was actually, before number two said anything, she was like, wait, that's it? I was like, wait (laughs) for it, wait for it. Yeah, so next we go to Austin's jumbo jet. Uh, Vanessa and him are all, are the only ones on this plane. Red flag. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about it when I said it that way, but sure. Orange light. <laughs> She's having him sign some release forms, which will basically indemnify the Ministry of Defense and like, in case he does something spectacularly stupid, apparently. And, of course, this is when he tries to seduce Vanessa again, and she shuts him down again, which... He, and then there's this the spinning bed, which I feel like was from something we watched, Zach. Do you remember this? Well, Casino Royale had all kinds of sexy beds. Right. So that's probably yeah. I feel like it was either that or in like Flint where there was a spinning bed, but I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, what one of those. Yeah. He also has a line here, why don't we go in the back and shag? I think it like comes out of nowhere too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It's, I think he's she's he's asking about her background. How did you end up working for MOD? And then he just goes into that. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But to Vanessa's credit, she like kind of chews him out here. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciated that. And also earlier, we we skipped it, but she says at one point, "Hey, stop calling me baby." I mean, he doesn't listen, but that was helpful. But like Sarah said, she still thinks that he's charming. It's obvious because she like smiles to herself. Mm. So next, we go back to the evil lair. This is when we meet Scott, aka Zach Doppelganger. Or celebrity yeah, people doppelganger. Keep I, look like them. <laughs> I can see Carolyn really, did not see it. I really can only see it yeah. in this movie, I think. Like, well, he's pretty young in this movie, so that yeah. he's probably closer in age to where you are now, I would imagine. Yeah. No, Maybe. you don't think so? How old is he know. now? I have no um I have no idea how old he is. <laughs> how old, uh, we're talking about, we're talking Seth, about Seth Green, Green by the way. Yeah. Who was oh yet. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Seth Green is currently 46. Yeah, so he's probably younger than I am now when he was in this movie. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we find out that they froze Dr. Evil Seaman, and when it looked like he wasn't going to return, they made a clone. Or not a clone. That's not the next movie. They made him a son. (laughs) And Scott is a, you know, punk rockish kind of guy. He's like very, very uh, Very rightfully. Yeah, (laughs) but also rightfully saying, you know, you just show up here and you expect a relationship. I hate you. Yeah, the, the I hate you felt very Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. 
Uh, also, this is when Dr. Evil very awkwardly dances the Macarena, speaking of 90s references. Mm-hmm. We are almost as far from when this movie came out as Austin was frozen. Oh, man. <laughs> Wait, is that right? 97, almost. So that's 2021. Yeah, almost. It's like 24 there. years. Yeah. I also like the part where Dr. Evil's trying to hug Scott and they're like, <laughs> keep running away. I think I liked all the scenes with Dr. Evil more than I did the ones with Austin. Fair, fair. All right, so next we go to the jet landing in Las Vegas. And to me, this is like, yeah, this is looked like Las Vegas as I remember it from the one of the first times I visited. I've mm-hmm. been to Vegas a lot. And this is very like old Vegas. Like that, the strip didn't quite look like the strip yet. It was a lot of downtown Vegas. So okay. not you not not so much your like, but not so much the days where you have like the themed casino hotels like your circus or your well not circus uh, your um your Luxors or your Caesar's palaces or anything else but more of just the old to the mainly just a casino kind of thing. Oh yeah. So also this part we have more aggressive flirting. And then he's like, I'm just joking, baby. It's just a joke. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so they're using the time-tested uh, cover of being a married couple, which, of course, is a huge of, oh, this is why we only have one, be- one bed and one share a room. <laughs> yeah, the old move. Yeah. And as they're unpacking, I like this joke where, you know, first she has like a very, she unpacks a very small, what was it, like some sort of bread or something. Mm-hmm. And then he unpacks the PPK, and then she has like a des- giant desert eagle. <laughs> yeah, or is this called? Players call it a deagle. A deagle, yeah. <laughs> Which of course is like a penis envy joke. Ha ha! Very progressive. So they go out down into the casino floor. Apparently, Virtucon's executives have been gambling at the different tables, and so they they spot number two. And did you recognize the uh, who is the dealer at the table? Yes, the soup Nazi. Yeah. I have that written down. <laughs> I appreciated in this scene how Austin Powers receives a briefing about his target, like as they're walking up to him 20 <laughs> seconds. Before. Yeah. That's so, how he rolls, baby. And this is where we meet our, uh, yeah, our pussy galore analog, a lot of vagina. Mm-hmm. Classic Bond style gambling scene, except Austin Powers has no idea what he's doing. Yes. So they're playing blackjack. Number two has 17 and he decides to hit. And he says, I like to live dangerously. With his fancy eye patch, he knows the next card's going to be a four. And so he gets 21. Whereas Austin has five and stands on five because he too likes to live dangerously. Right. And a very loses badly. <laughs> but I will say, I have actually, in a casino, I have hit on t- 17. <laughs> and I work? said the line, and it worked. <laughs> wow. Look at you. So uh, I guess it. The idea here is that it's sort of like with women, Austin Powers has no idea what he's doing, but manages to succeed anyway. Yeah. <laughs> also, I, I enjoyed the ridiculous cover names, which they clearly hadn't decided on beforehand. Richie mm-hmm. Cunningham and my wife, Oprah. But it's like, would he even know who Oprah is? Uh, don't worry about it. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. No, definitely not. Number two has to, goes to the restroom and Austin follows him. And then number two disappears. We don't see where he goes. But this is where we get basically the, the main reason that number two's name was number two for a poop joke. Oh, yeah. I would expect nothing less from this movie. Though, 
okay, so he so Austin Powers is following number two, goes yeah. to the bathroom, can't find him. This Texan guy comes in, and then <laughs> Austin Powers goes into the bathroom and starts to use the toilet out of I can only assume sheer awkwardness and just wanting to get away from the Texan guy. Oh yeah. I, well, the Texan guy was it was funny. It was because what is it? He's oh yeah. He's like sees him. And he's like oh that's some outfit. Are you in the show? And he's like no, I'm English. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> As Austin is using the bathroom, Patty O'Brien pops out from a secret uh, compartment behind the toilet and uses the Lucky Charm bracelet to choke Austin with like a garrote, which reminded me of From Russia With Love. Well, don't they had... play like some kind of musical sting here that's from James Bond? No, but it's something that sounds very similar to a James Bond sting. Okay. My question here is how did they know which stall he was going to use when they planned this assassination attempt? I assume there's some sort of camera mirror somewhere. And then every stall has like a vent over it that he can pop out of. <laughs> sure. If that makes you feel better to believe <laughs> that. Yeah, I shouldn't put too much thought into this movie. <laughs> right. Austin dispatches of Patty O'Brien by giving him a swirly. And next we cut to Dr. Evil in the secret lair. Somehow they've stolen the warhead from Kerplakistan. We haven't actually, we never see how, which I was a little disappointed right. by. And so then he goes to call the UN secret meeting room to uh, hold them for, tell them he was holding them for ransom. And we have like every stereotype of every kind of country in there, including a sumo wrestler. I like the bagpiper. <laughs> I liked the, uh, the, God, the, the guards outside of Buckingham Palace were also there. Oh, the, the beef eaters. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And then there's a, the other actor from Seinfeld is here. Oh, there's yeah. Actor. I don't know who he was. I forget but who he is in Seinfeld, like but yes, he's, the, he's there. He's the head of the UN. This is my, one of my favorite lines is the Mr. Evil, Dr. Evil. I didn't go to seven years of evil medical school to be th- called Mr. Thank you very much. So I'd heard that in other contexts, but I didn't realize that this is where it like originated. <laughs> In what other context is there to say that line? Like, I think I read like a parody of the Fantastic Four where Dr. Doom is like, don't call me Mr. Doom. I didn't go to evil medical school for 20 years or whatever to be called (laughs) Mr. Doom. Uh, Stuff like that. All right. And they do their evil laugh. And it just goes on and on. And then it just slows down to just a little. (sighs) But here's my question. So we have Dr. Evil. We have number two. And we have Frau Vermista. Who are the like four other people who laugh with them? about to ask that same question it's like a bunch of other random people yeah including like some like mobsters uh, uh, maybe a yakuza guy i don't know like they just this is the only time we ever see them Mm -hmm. we next go to vanessa in the hotel room the next day she's calling her mom who has barely aged like i like that there's like maybe a streak of gray hair (laughs) just to say that oh it's been 30 years yeah, and this scene, they failed the best cell test pretty hard. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, oh, they do. They talk for like five <laughs> minutes, and the only thing they talk about is Austin Powers. Yeah, I think the entire purpose of that scene is, uh, is uh, are we, how much of him naked are we going to get to see <laughs> joke? <Yep>. I think. <laughs> it's, just, it's a lot of sight gags of, you know, with especially with the sausage plate, Placed and placement and yeah, right. Austin and Vanessa are scouting out VirtuCon HQ in Vegas, and he notices Doctor Evil's cat, which is how he knows that Doctor Evil's there. 
and he has like this ridiculous giant fo- like telephoto lens shoot, <laughs> like shooting photos of Vanessa and saying, you know, I'm going to take you out at night on a town, which leads me to my like my big question of, all right, so they go on this big date night. Aren't they supposed to be spying? What the hell are they doing? <laughs> it makes no sense. I agree. I wondered whether the green screen behind the car when they were driving, is that does that is that intentionally supposed to look really bad? Like, is that part of the joke? Or is it yes. just that it's been 25 years and no, looking no. back everything and then that that, when they're driving and there's like that, it's not even green. Well, it's green, green screen now. But what they used to do is rear projection. So like, especially mm. in Dr. No, exactly. You'll remember this. When mm-hmm. there's those scenes of Doc, of Sean Connery driving that car, it looks bad. Mm. <laughs> and so it's intentionally yeah. supposed to, like another movie that does this to the same effect is Down with Love, the Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger movie. Anytime that they show them driving, they have that same effect because it's supposed to be like in the 60s. Yeah, I think by the 90s, they figured out how to put a camera in a car correctly so they didn't <laughs> actually need to use it. But I do appreciate that. Yeah. But yeah, so they spend a night out in the town. They go in a double-decker bus because, of course, he's English. Mm-hmm. Um, and have the one and only Burke Bacharach playing uh, What the World Needs Now is Love, right. Sweet Love. I don't... What's the actual... I think it's just What the World Needs Now is the title. Mm-hmm. And they dance, and they have that very, like, 60s montage where they're definitely green screened, and it's, like, just them in the middle, and there's all the scenes around them happening, because they apparently didn't have the budget to have them actually go to different do different things. Reminds me of the part in Stubby where they go out on the town in Paris. <laughs> no, but that, you actually see them at the very, well, or, or was it only postcards that you see? I don't remember now. Mm-hmm. And there's a, the, you know, one of those jokes where it's, oh, it sounds like they're having sex, but no, they're just playing Twister. You know, a like, classic Like you game. do. <laughs> that you play with your coworkers, classic. Right, but then this is where we get like Austin Powers stairs joke. Like, mm. I remember this being a big thing right after this movie. I don't know, like, did this come from here or was this like a thing before then? I think it's just a thing, but they do it best. Yeah, like I mean, because it's I like there was the stairs, there was the escalator, the elevator, and then for some reason, canoe. <laughs> he did a good job. He's good yeah. control over his leg muscles. I feel like because well, so there's a scene in Goldfinger where he, when he's like he's captured and he like there's a guard outside the door and he does something similar to this except not doesn't call out ex- especially that you know I'm going downstairs and I'm wondering like, was this inspired by that or was it just a thing I don't know yeah so also in this scene they like talk about their relationship and Austin has this very strange line where he's like I'm sorry to Vanessa. And she's like, I'm sorry about what? He says, I'm sorry that bug up your ass had to die for you to, oh. like, have a good time. Yeah. Like, yo, dude. I yeah. also think, like, is that an intentional mixed metaphor? Because like, he Probably. does that later when he says, um, like, two seconds later. Oh, that train says, has sailed? Yes, the train has sailed, which I didn't pick up on as being funny at the time. But uh, instantly, my boyfriend turned to me and whispered, that train has sailed. And I laughed. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, you didn't laugh it. He, he said it better. What can I say? Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> also, this is the scene where, yeah, Vanessa's very drunk. And the one one thing, mm-hmm. one part of his, his attitude towards women is that he won't sleep with a drunk woman. I did appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciated that. Also, I liked his, you know, me, me in a nutshell joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It was so stupid, but whatever. <laughs> it so was we, stupid we also... enough that it was funny. <laughs> and then we next get another call from Basil, this time on a laptop, but same ringtone, on America Online. I, I like... Yes. Yeah, this, is, this movie is much about artifacts of the 60s as it is of the 90s mm-hmm. at, at this point. So you find yeah, out like that... Yeah, like a VHS shows up. Yeah. <laughs> right. The old laptop, yeah. 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 So we find out that... Uh, um, Somehow Basil, because he's exposition, knows about Project Vulcan. And he says, to get more info, go sneak into a lot of vagina's apartment. So he goes, sneaks in. I'm trying to remember if this is a real hotel, the Imperial Palace. Sounds real. In Vegas. I mean, there are, you know, there's Caesar's Palace and all, all these other things. Uh, but I don't know if I've ever heard of that one. Okay. Ah, yes, it was. Huh. It was a thing. It is now known as the Quad, or at least it was in 2012. Uh, yeah, I guess for our listeners, um, I'm from Hawaii originally, and you know, people from Hawaii love to go to Vegas. So between the ages of about 13 to 21, I went about once a year. So I know Vegas pretty well. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know that? Oh, okay. Why, why do people from Hawaii love Vegas so much? I don't it's like know the polar why. opposite of Hawaii? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And there's so many direct flights to Vegas that are pretty cheap to get, so it's easy to go there. Yeah. All right. So, yes, anytime I see Vegas in a movie, it wins me over just a little bit if I just see parts of Vegas that I know. Anyway, so, uh, Austin sneaking into there, and uh, uh, he's taking photos of the Vulcan, uh, Project Vulcan files. Also, some other secret plans include, uh, what was it? Uh, Chemical dumping. And the Caratop movie. (laughs) (laughs) Again, a 90s artifact. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what happened to Caratop? Where is Caratop? Who knows? Apparently, he's like shredded now. That was the last thing I heard Wait, about. What? Him. That's weird. I mean, like with muscles. Yeah, not... that's what I, I assumed. That not like <laughs> like a cheese. shredded carrot. Exactly. But he's Anyways. totally a product of the '90s, so I can see where where they mentioned him. A lot of vagina arrives, and then we get this seduction scene. Yeah, we Which, get a lot of male gaze here. Yeah. Like that, Sarah. I'm with it. I'm hip. Yeah. But during all this, he says, oh, groovy baby. And I laughed and I immediately hated myself. For <laughs> when, uh, like, at what point did he say? I don't even remember that. Just like at some point when she's taking off her clothes. Oh. Just, like, something in my lizard brain just thought it was funny. <laughs> I remember I can't he said, oh, behave, definitely during that scene. Um, and my notes for this yeah. scene uh, are why? Yeah. One word uh, for this scene. Yeah. Why? Why? So, uh, the only thing I, I did enjoy from this scene is that they played the song The Look of Love, which is from the 67 mm-hmm. Casino Royale. So this so, scene, I feel like, is very James Bondy in that I feel like this scene could could have been in a James Bond movie. It is in a film. Um, um, I think it's For Your Eyes Only. Yeah. Actually, no. A View to Kill. Yeah. But I didn't get enough of the parody part or the mm-hmm. satire yeah. or the condemnation it felt like it was just a sort of direct um like yeah. copy paste i'm with you on that and there's even a line like they they even make it worse because there's a line the line that he says you know in japan men come first women come second mm. that's actually from yeah the per- <laughs> w- without the Edna or not at all is from a james bond movie is from you only live twice and then they added that or not at all Wow. Yep. Yep. They have sex, and then we go to back to the lair where we, we meet the Fembot, who are basically the latest in Android replicant technology, apparently. Yeah, replicants. We're going to get Harrison Ford to come <laughs> kill them if they get out of line. Yep. 
and they have guns uh, in their breasts, which then they use to kill a bunch of guards. So, like, are these just disposable guards that they use for a test? <laughs> like, what, what, what's the deal? <laughs> That's right. Well, not only do they kill the guards, but the guards are, like, helpless against them. Mm-hmm. The guards are ordered to kill them, but they won't do it. Because they're attractive women, apparently. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do have that superpower, so that drives. <laughs> All right, now go to British makeshift headquarters, which I feel like is in, like, a hotel suite somewhere in Vegas, because there are many of those. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, partially... I like this. It's partially like a you know a cue scene where you get he gets some gadgets, which is just a watch which has like GPS in it, or you know, aka what pretty much anyone of us might have on our wrist right now. Right. And then he gets introduced into the modern you know Marvel's dental hygiene, <laughs> which I like that he thought they were all different things, like oh the floss is garrote wire and the toothpaste is plastic explosives, and it's like no, this is just good dental care yeah i I like him kind of getting knocked a little bit because he knocks plenty of other people Mm -hmm. and he he can be the butt of a joke every now and then more directly but also guys do you know the reason why a lot of british people don't have good teeth why it's because of the national health system they have there they have universal health care that covers everything but not dentistry so like the rich people can get dentistry but more not rich people cannot well that's the stereotype is that British people have bad teeth. Right. I mean, yeah, it's a stereotype. Yeah. But that's why it exists. Okay. Interesting. Basil comes by, gives Austin an update. Uh, he, Austin shows Basil all the photos. And there's a, apparently, so the plan is for an underground drill. And then they'll activate a nuke inside Planet Score. And so they need to infiltrate Virtucon. Apparently, they run a tour of Virtucon. How many, you know, telecommunications? <laughs> companies do you know that run a tour every hour none <laughs> also this is when the uh more transphobic stuff and yeah. violence against women yep where he meets basil's mom punches his mom because he thinks his mom's a man in a wig yeah and then he adds insult to injury by like insulting her yep. he says something along yeah. like, like well she is very mannish yeah it's like dude yeah. learn how to freaking read a room yeah. i don't think that was okay in the 60s either <laughs> So you don't have an excuse. And then we got to cut to uh, <laughs> Dr. Evil and Scott in group therapy. The oh, I did like by. <laughs> oh, and the therapist is played by Carrie Fisher. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. We find out some of Dr. Evil's backstory, which is very much in the same vein as, uh, Zach, if you remember when uh, we hear Dr. No's backstory in Dr. No. Sure. I didn't listen to it then either. <laughs> All right. Well, it's very much in the same vein. I did like the part where Do- Dr. Evil claims one of his relatives claimed to have invented the, the question, the question mark. mark. Sometimes he accused chestnuts of being lazy. Well, I mean, like someone must have invented the question mark. So why not him? <laughs> I like the yeah. comedic timing when he says, like, I'm Dr. Evil. And then it sort of zooms in. And then the comedic timing of this is so perfect. Uh-huh. And then everyone, it cuts to everyone. Hi, Doctor. Hi, Doctor. <laughs> that was good. I like. Yeah. I also like the part where God is like, he, "My father's trying to kill me," and Carrie Fisher's like, mm-hmm. "We don't talk that way in group." And Doctor Evil's like, "No, I am trying to kill him, <laughs> but he's tricky." Yeah, he's wily like his old man. So next we go to back to the hotel room. Vanessa finds out that Austin slept with Alana, and 
she's angry with him. But since when are they in a relationship? Like she says a line where like, if you want to be in a relationship, it's like, since when are they in one though? It's like when on the date is the only oh. thing I can surmise. Like, oh. I, I thought I agree. I thought that like maybe they cut a scene or <laughs> uh, that didn't make any sense because they weren't. I didn't think in a relationship the last I had heard of them was was when she was drunk and Austin said no, and that to me didn't say that they were in a relationship. Right? Yeah. Okay. See, I, I'm yeah. Also, yeah, so it's just maybe, or maybe he was trying like trying to have one, but also but not be and trying not to be himself. Exposition didn't say at the time that Austin slept with a lot of vagina. Yeah. All he said was that he went to take pictures, which was his actual job. Yeah. Um, so there is no reason, I wouldn't think, to get mad at someone doing their job, which is going to take pictures. Yeah. There was no right. implication that they got sexy at a hot tub. Right. Well, I mean, and then Van Vanessa uh, had, a, yeah. like, for some reason, well, not for some reason, because she knows who Austin Powers is, yeah, had, like, a nagging suspicion, and then he just sort of said, no, you're right, you're suspicious, I did it, it like, and expects there to be no right. consequence from that. Because he's from the swinging 60s, yes, so, oh, yeah. I can see where she's coming from. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see it now, the question was, the for me, was the relationship line, mm -hmm. I was like, wait, what? But yeah, so she's like, welcome to the 90s, you're going to be very lonely. And so he, he goes off on a sad drive, like, he tries to make some friends in a bar, and they like make, I was like, I was sad, I felt bad for him there. When he's just, yeah. you know, trying to wave high, and they're like, laughing at him. And then he starts making a list of all the people he knows who died. I like when he <laughs> tried to put a CD in a record player. Yeah. Yeah. Also, CDs? What are those? Yeah, CDs, also now very antiquated. I agree. <laughs> Other 90s artifacts, the pump shoes. Remember those? Yeah, I remember the pump shoes. Totally. Yep, yep, yep. She starts going through the last 30 years of history, like watching the moon mm -hmm. landing, seeing the fall of the Berlin Wall. I noticed that, like, as she's doing this, there's all these cans of tab, like just <laughs> yeah. empty cans, partially crushed all over the place. Like, Are they a 90s stuff. thing? I feel like, though, because I, I feel like I haven't seen tab in a long time. Okay. And apparently he was surprised that Liberace was gay. Like, that was the button on that joke. I was like, mm -hmm. eh. Vanessa's face of him, he told her that was pretty funny. <laughs> She's just, like, disgusted or whatever. <laughs> okay, now we get to the Virtucon tour, and they're wearing terrible disguises. Which also would not Hilarious be Hilarious okay disguises. Today, I think. I mean, hers was fine. Her as, like, a... Cowgirl, yeah. Cowgirl with like rhinestone, uh, rhinestone cowboy hat. And all that. Okay, fine. But him, basically, was this where he got the idea for the love guru? I was going to say, go he, looked, he looked like <laughs> a character from the love uh, Anyway, so on the tour, they, they very helpfully point out, and there's a restricted area. And there's bathrooms right next to the restricted mm -hmm. area, as you do. And there's two people who have very different body types. Who go into those bathrooms and somehow Austin and Vanessa knock them out and take their clothing and they fit perfectly. Like That's I think good joke. the guy was like super tall and the woman was was really mm -hmm. tiny and no. <laughs> at least the tour guard is competent enough to report them. <laughs> so they failed at their job of infiltrating Virchcon. Well, yeah. they got in. <laughs> they got not in, undetected, but without any usefulness. They don't find anything useful. But this is the first time we hear Austin Powers judo chop. I think doesn't just do a judo chop. He says judo chop mm. anytime he doesn't. Also, there's this, the steamroller chase. Yeah, actually, it's called a compact. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's excuse me. 
<laughs> but I did. I, like I did like the joke of the guy being like, "No," and they're just like, "Get out of the way!" And he's like, ah. and he's like thirty feet away, still moving very slowly. Yeah, I did admit I I laughed at that. Also, this and so as they're like they crush the guy and they're trying to escape, and then random ta- task knocks him out. I I I do like that name, <laughs> random task. So random task takes them back to the lair. And they are given quasi-futuristic clothing, which Dr. Evil designed himself. I liked that they <laughs> had that random costume change. That they just show up <laughs> in completely different, very 60s-looking futuristic clothes. Like, they're mm-hmm. silver and shiny, really yeah. short skirt, really tight. Um, and I like that there wasn't really an explanation as to why they changed. They just sort of, you know, in the next mm-hmm. scene, they just have different clothing. Um, that also felt kind of kind of bondy. Oh yeah, that's definitely a thing. Well, not necessarily the uh, like features, but sometimes like in Doctor No specifically, there's a scene where Doctor No has them to, at dinner and gives them clothing, which is like I think what like Asian stylings. So it's 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 definitely mm-hmm. a thing. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. My my sister said, "What the hell?" when she saw Vanessa's outfit. <laughs> yeah. And- it also reminds me of Mystery Men, where you have a villain from the past who like wants the past to like live again. I'm referring, of course, to the Disco Boys and their leader, Casanova Frankenstein. Never actually seen Mystery Men. Dr. Evil contacts the UN, shows off the Vulcan and what it's going to do. So it's going to drill into the mantle. They're going to activate the nuke and it will cause every volcano on Earth to explode and melt this- every major city. At this point, my boyfriend turned to me and said, this can't happen. The nuclear weapon would explode far before it got to the core. And then he paused and said, I don't know why I'm debating the science in this movie. <laughs> well, it's a good point. <laughs> stay tuned because stay tuned to our fact versus fiction, spy fact versus fi- fiction. This is also where we get uh, Austin Powers and Vanessa like being served food at a big at the big table with Dr. Evil, which is a very Bond thing. Like every Bond villain does this, including some of the more that. recent ones. It's- it's so funny when that happens. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> and then Scott enters, and I, I forget what Scott says, to, like that pisses off Doctor Evil. That Doctor Evil tries to like use this, the chair, the burning chair thing on him, and like um, Frau Farbista like uses a horsewhip or whatever. What are the what are those things called? Riding crop. Riding crop to like mm-hmm. slap his hand. Doctor Evil is going to put him in a trap, and Scott does is like, why don't you just shoot him right now? Yeah, my favorite part, I think, of maybe the whole movie is when Dr. Evil says, I'm going to uh, explain my plot and go into a very elaborate scheme from which he can easily escape. And then the son says, why don't you just shoot him? He's like, no, no, I have to, to like, I'm going to turn around and I'm not going to even look. Like, well, don't you, don't you want to look? No. Which I think is, didn't that directly happen in Goldfinger? How the, what's his face just like turned around and, and didn't even look? It happens yeah. in so many of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was I thought it'd be like a there would be like a meta joke here where where Scott would be like, why don't you just kill him while you do this? And then Dr. will just be like, because that's not the way it works. That happens lit in another in, in in like the second or third movie. It's like, you just don't get it, do you? <laughs> so this also is reminds me apart from Starman, if I can have a brief interlude. Uh, so in oh. the comic series Starman, there's this <laughs> old cop and he talks about how back in the 30s. He was chasing a robber down a street. They go into an alley. The robber starts to climb a fence. So the cop pulls out his gun and like fires a warning shot into the air. And the robber turns around, climbs back down the fence, walks over to the cop and is like, what did you do that for? 
That's not the way it works. That's not the way you're supposed <laughs> to do things. So I guess it's like a bygone era when mm. the villain gives the hero a chance to survive, which mm. he always takes. Doctor Evil says, you know, has them over this. Uh, what he, what does he call it? The unnecessarily slow dipping mechanism, right? Which uh-huh. uh, is directly from Live and Let Die, which is the oh, I think one of the few. So I noticed I was taking notes on like every Bond reference. Most of them are from the Sean Connery era, but like mm. Live and Let Die is like the only one that's from the Roger Moore era. At least in well, this the film. Sean, yeah, the Sean Connery era is like what people know. It's what yeah. people think of when they think of James Bond. Depends on when you grew up. For some, for others, it's the uh, Roger Moores. Oh yeah, but then so he they're supposed to be over a shark tank, but of course now sharks are an, an endangered species. So they couldn't get sharks, so now they have you know, ill-tempered, mutated sea bass. And, of course, the famous line about sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their mm-hmm. heads, which apparently everyone other than me thinks is hilarious. <laughs> I also don't really get why sharks being endangered would mean some evil criminal <laughs> world-destroying organization wouldn't still be able to get them. I think it was... Well, it's not that they would could He even has the lines, like, the, the red tape would take months to clear mm-hmm. up. And I think they wanted it, like, they just didn't have the time to do it. Okay. Oh, this is where Dr. Evil ha- does the shh thing to Scott, which is a big thing in these movies. It's the shushes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. That people did that a lot in like, growing up. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. shushing. So they close the, the tank. There's one inept guard there who's guarding them. Vanessa. But I appreciated that. I'm sorry about the guard because <laughs> most James Bond villains don't leave a guard. <laughs> well, so, it's, it's a, it becomes a yeah. running gag in the rest of the movies where. Yeah, Dr. Evil always leaves just one inept guard to watch them. So Vanessa has floss with her. Apparently, they let her keep the floss and toothpaste, but nothing else in that costume. Like, where was she keeping it in that costume? <laughs> Great question. But they use the floss as a, as a grappling hook. And then Austin judo chops the toothpaste to blind the guard. They swing across, and the guard gets his head eaten off by the mutated sea bass. Did the sea bass right. have lasers on their heads, or were they just sea bass? They kind of went by too fast. Yeah. You couldn't really tell. Mm. Very cheap-looking effect, but it was still <laughs> kind of funny. The James Bond one-liners after killing someone. But we get not just one, we get four of them. They were okay, but I just liked how pleased what Austin was with himself <laughs> after every one. Yeah. There we go. Not a good time to lose one's head. That's no way to get ahead in life. It's a shame he wasn't more headstrong. He wouldn't never be the head of a major corporation. At, at which point, Vanessa says, "That's enough." <laughs> like, no, I think one was probably enough, but I liked it. I liked them. I think my favorite is the last one because it's just so out there. I was gonna say that's yeah. barely like a a, a one liner <laughs> right. after you kill someone. That's just a using yeah. the word head in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so they drive a golf cart over to an emergency exit. They find down this very narrow hallway. Vanessa leaves to get more help, and at which point he tell he tells Vanessa that if you want me to, I'll be you know a, a monogamous, uh, yeah, one like, woman okay. man baby yeah. or something like that. And then Austin tries to do what we called in Drivers at a K turn. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> now, anytime trying to get into a really tight spot, I I refer to it as Austin Austin powersing it because <laughs> it's just without he, smacking stuff. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I enjoyed this. And like, well, I enjoyed that they did this and then they cut away and they cut back to him still doing it. And it's like basically parallel, like perpendicular, stuck in the wall. 
Yeah, it's like, how, how did he do it? <laughs> uh, we have Project Vulcan about to begin. Dr. Evil's waiting, wearing the radi- radiation suit straight out of Dr. No. Did you notice that, Zach? Yes, I did. And I appreciated it. He tried to do his little pinky thing and he couldn't do it because the glove <laughs> was too big. Yep. And Austin Powers is trying to find another way out. This is when he encounters the fembots. They spray these pheromones in the air and try to seduce him. Yeah, but I guess they don't do anything because it <laughs> doesn't appear to have affected him at all. Well, it's because he has the power of love. No, he's got his mojo, which or I that, remember that from too. the sequels. They talk about the mojo and the sequels yeah. a lot, so it's kind of funny to see. Yeah, this is the there. only like reference we get in this scene to, is the mojo. Um, Vanessa's with a bunch of Royal Marines at the makeshift headquarters, and they're head- and she's wearing you know the black cat suit that her mom was wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the club, it was her club outfit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> her uh, tactical cat suit, yeah, action outfit, yeah, yeah. So Austin, yeah, like you said, he's using his mojo to short circuit the fembots. So Vanessa finds him where he's you know with a bunch of headless. I don't know if you can tell that they're robots, but they're robots, like. I guess you maybe could tell because their heads are exploded. There's wiring inside them. And he's just there in his underwear. And, like, he explains the whole situation to Vanessa, which, like, is actually telling the truth. And shockingly, she believes him. So a couple of the Royal Marines here look really happy with the situation. So I was, <laughs> I was wondering what was up with that. So I was like, I either think... they're into headless corpses of women or... They're into Austin Powers himself, which I think I is think more... it was the it was supposed I to be think... the, the one was into Austin Powers. Yeah, I which thought that's great. what I, that's what I <laughs> yeah. So Austin Power does his mojo dance. Yeah. Which seems to imply that he knew that they were robots. No? Yeah, no. Yeah. There's there's no well Like, did I miss something where he finds out that they're robots? Maybe the fact that they had They're cyborgs. Uh, <laughs> they have cybernetic the, stuff the coming guns out. Guns coming out of their breasts. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, there's no good explanation. Maybe he's like, if they're human women, then they'll just be into me. But if they're robots, I gotta like turn the amplification up. <laughs> maybe, or maybe he was just trying to, you know, yeah, use his mojo to, I don't know, reverse the effect, and didn't know that they're robots until their heads started exploding. Yeah. So again, this scene was funny, but it goes on all too long, just like many others. It, well, it goes on for like in an entire song. Right. Oh yeah, and so back in back in the uh, control center, there's a guy who's doing the announcing for everything. Who's it's very like I feel like Doctor No had it in a bunch of other Bond movies, especially with Blofeld. Have like the one guy doing the ten seconds and counting. I really liked when uh, when they cut to the guy going three, two. <laughs> What? Because we don't we don't ever see the announcer no. guy in those movies, right? <laughs> like he's just an amorphous voice. Well, uh, I but... think. On her, ma- or not? No, you only live twice. You do see him, but yeah. Other than that, you most of the time it's just a voice. I also like the part where he like gets half his face is like charred from, <laughs> and an he's explosion. still there, doing the countdown. And I seem to remember it in like Flint, you also have a guy doing a countdown. Maybe I don't remember. Now. Yeah, I think the reason why you don't see him is because it's like a computer is the idea, but whatever. Hmm. Anyway, so Vanessa Austin and the Royal Marines enter, and it's like many a scene. Of in Bond movies of them like the army or whoever infiltrating a base and there's a shootout between the good guys and the bad guys and this is where the thing that I wanted from last week Zach finally happens we get our yep. secret agent man theme song guys I loved this part I loved it this is my favorite part of the movie uh, I never good. realized how much I wanted to see an action scene to secret agent man <laughs> 
Yeah, that oh, it's great. Like die happy. It's great. This is yeah. I also like also that they just bust in and just start mowing everybody <laughs> in sight down. They don't even like give them a chance to surrender or say like Doctor Evil, it's over or something like that. Also, one of the things you you notice is when Austin Powers fires his PPK, he blinks every time he shoots. And this is not a character. It wasn't a character choice. This is actually Mike Myers, like <laughs> blinking because he's not used to firing guns. And then it became a character choice later on when when they noticed it in this movie, like in that, like once they had edited together this scene. So now from now on, anytime he fires guns, he blinks. And so they're trying to deactivate the thing. They it's going down to the last second. There's a big giant red abort button, which he presses. And of course now when he. <laughs> When he does that, the announcer is like, abort, abort, abort. Do you think it was supposed to be like an abortion joke? I don't think so. I just thought it was just funny that the announcer was still going. Oh, okay. I was surprised there was no like red wire, blue wire joke. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just a red button. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that seems like such a good opportunity. Movies love lampooning that. I don't know why they didn't do that. So Austin Powers goes after, chases after Dr. Evil. We get the, you know, we're not so different, you and I speech. Mm-hmm. And, and like he goes on this song about how all the things you love are now considered to be evil. <laughs> yeah. And this is where Everything. like Austin's trying to like trying so hard. He's like, if we had known the you know the consequences of our ways, it would have been different. But the spirit would have been the same. It's freedom. And then it's like Doctor was like, freedom failed. Yeah, but now we have freedom and responsibility. <laughs> But the tables turn, and Alada has uh, Vanessa at gunpoint. But then the tables turn again, and now Austin Powers has Scott at gunpoint. And it's a Mexican standoff, except that Dr. Evil doesn't care about Scott. Yeah, that's great. So funny. (laughs) Uh, And then it turns again when number two arrives. But he turns on Dr. Evil, because he spent the last 30 years building up Virchicon. And he was going to have like a, pro, a profile in Forbes, but no, Doctor Evil just wanted to r- take over the world and ruin everything. And so he tries to make a deal with Austin Powers, but uh, number or Doctor Evil kills Number Two with the chair because, like, wh- okay, if you know that that's there, why would you ever sit at that table? I was going to say that's your own fault for sitting in that right? chair, right? <laughs> yeah, nobody's too smart in this movie. Uh, but Vanessa uses that distraction to knock out Alada and Dr. Evil activates a self-destruct, which like many Bond movies, so they es- Dr. Evil escapes in the big boy rocket again to be frozen, and Austin drives away in the Shagwar with Vanessa. Yeah, a couple things about that. So first, yeah. they drive away from Ayers Rock, which of course was in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and the episode oh. of Star Trek. Oh, where the, the Rocks, yeah. Oh, Vasquez I, didn't Rocks. It, I didn't realize that was Vasquez Rocks. I didn't even recognize it. Well, you don't get like the full, but you, uh, you just see like the bottom part of it, okay. but it's still recognizable. Nice. And then there's also a junk shot where um, oh. Austin apparently can't drive his own car without hitting himself in the groin. So that was, well, that was no, it, what it was is he flipped into the Shagwar like he did at the beginning, but this time he like miscalculated jump and landed mm. on the shifter. Yes. And then we cut to three months later. Austin and Vanessa are married, apparently. Yep. And they get a call from Basil Exposition. And we have the, you know, the sight gag of, you know, all the of the naked people again. Yes. We find out Vanessa's been made a full agent and that Austin will be knighted. 
Was she not a full agent before? She That's, seemed to be able to do yeah, all the full agent and things. Even before, like when they introduce her, they say that one of our top agents. So why isn't she a full agent? I don't know. I don't get it. Austin's ordered some champagne for them to celebrate and random tasks because we haven't, we never saw him taken out appears and with the champagne so is this like a thing it's a horror movie thing is it a james bond thing where just oh, when everything definitely. looks like it's fine a villain pops out of nowhere it actually it starts with let's see uh, not a not in doctor no not in from Russia with love. well actually I, I would say the first time you have this is from Russia with love where they've escaped and you think it's all f- fine and then uh the shoe uh yeah. I can, uh, <laughs> with the shoe knife i like i can remember the actual actress's name lotta lenny but i'm just like trying to remember the character's name oh rosa club rosa club she appears and like tries to assassinate uh doctor um james bond at the very end so with that's the, the first time it, with the shit with the shoe knife or it happens in diamonds are forever you know everyone's dispatched but the two henchmen and they bring in like food posing as waiters and like try to kill James Bond. So it's a thing that happens, and it happens as more into the Roger Moore movies. It happens more and more, pun unintended. Random task does his shoe throwing thing and just hits Austin in the head, but doesn't like decapitate him or anything. It just I did hurts like him that a lot. It's like <laughs> I'm gonna have a bruise there. Who throws a shoe, honestly? Which, although that doesn't make sense, it makes a little bit more sense than the hat that was in <laughs> James Bond. Does it though? <laughs> razor sharp thing on it yeah it cuts people's heads off yeah the, the, shoe, the a, shoe had like a spike on the end or a shoe knife scary. maybe i don't know i mean a shoe i mean just yeah. a regular shoe versus a regular hat you'd think yeah, a shoe would do more damage than a hat my job doesn't throw a regular hat it's a steel has a steel tip or a steel rim in it okay also a hat is much more aerodynamic than a shoe yes. i mean ask anybody <laughs> and especially james bond fans because he throws his hat right he does we talked yes. about that yeah all good points. All good points. Random task has, you know, is choking <laughs> out Austin and Chekhov's penis pump comes back. Yeah, they use it to defeat him somehow. Well, they use it to distract him. And then Vanessa hits him over the head with a champagne bottle. Yeah, couldn't she have done that at any point? She's standing there watching the situation unfold and like, hmm. <laughs> use this. Why? Not ever gone with her either? They're on their honeymoon. So they defeat random task roll him back out of the hallway and they go go out onto the balcony and look at the sky and they spot the big boy rocket with dr evil in it who's apparently cold and like freezing but not cryogenically frozen this time apparently because he's talking and saying i'll get you next time yeah he gets a taunt very dr claw yep (laughs) and then the very upsetting shot of the poor little kitty cat who's frozen yeah doesn't even have any hair to keep it warm. Oh. Poor little kitty cat. And that is where our movie ends. And we do get some more band stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. I do like that. that. So I, well, I like the song that Mike Myers does with that band, BBC. We liked it, too. <laughs> I like the BBC song more than the groovy interludes. Fair. Fair. All right. So shall we go into Spy Fact versus Spy Fiction? By all means. I'm very excited for this segment. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot i just just want to talk about sort of his the inspiration for this obviously it's james bond but mike myers has actually stated in interviews that the idea for austin powers came to him one night when i was driving and he heard the song the look of love which was featured in the movie on the radio and he wonders 
where have all the swingers gone? And use that to conceive this idea. So the spy thing yeah. is like almost besides the point. So well, I, I think, think it's fine. also because the look of love is from Casino Royale. And there was that. It was, so it was that mm-hmm. plus his just sort of wanting to do a comedy thing and wanting to do a, a James Bond parody because his dad is like, well, so he's born in Canada, but his, both of his parents were from the UK. And so James Bond was a big part of his life. Okay. Inspiration can come from anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I was like, when we were watching this, Carolyn was like, would Dr. Evil know what Lucky Charms is? Because like, he was frozen in 1967. But, turns out, first Lucky, Lucky Charms, first premiere, debuted 1964. So he had three years to know about Lucky Charms. But what about the jingle? I wasn't able to find out when the They're Always After Me Lucky Charms catchphrase came out. Okay, so here's the out. theory. Yeah. All right. He got Lucky Charms, he loved it, and when he got back in the 90s, the first thing he did was looked up Lucky Charms and had a ball of it. Sure. Zach, now I, I want Lucky Charms. Zach, I fully appreciate the way that you, like, back script all the <laughs> things to make sense, like with the bathroom stall and with the Lucky Charms. Like, you figured out... Uh, <laughs> How it can make I need sense. the world to make sense. It was I need really, things to make sense. It was really hard in the moment not to go, they're magically delicious <laughs> to, to no one. When I saw. <laughs> All right. So the other thing I have oh, is about, well, one of the other things I have is about Burke Bacharach. So like I said before, he wrote the song, The Look of Love, which was in the original Casino Royale. And he appeared in this movie. And as of recording, he is still alive at 92 years old. Actually, by the time this comes out, he may be 93. Hopefully he's still alive. Yeah. But the one thing that happened for actual spy fact versus spy fiction, I looked up what would happen if you dropped a nuclear bomb into a volcano? (laughs) Okay. Apparently nothing. Really? Nothing? Yeah. So this is according to uh, IFL Science. They said that dropping a bomb, even a nuclear bomb, into a bubbling cauldron of magma would be very anticlimactic. The bomb would melt without starting a nuclear reaction. Obviously, if you drop a bomb and then set it off in a volcano, which is what Dr. Evil was going to do. Okay, but, okay, nuclear bomb is made of explosives and a radioactive core. To ignite a devastating reaction, the explosives all need to detonate under careful timing to create enough energy to start a nuclear reaction, right? Right. I didn't think that he was going to drop it in a volcano. I thought he was going to drill it into the Earth and then set it off at the Earth's core. That Wasn't that what he said? Yes. But the Earth's core is full of magma, so it's like a volcano. Yeah. Same conditions. But you can't get it to the Earth's core. No, like there's, no, a, yeah. there's a problem with that plan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So in order to start this reaction, you would need to be, the, the, the bomb would be need to be detonated above the volcano's mouth or magically transported oh. into the magma chamber center, but you can't get it into there. So this plan would not work. All right. I'm very relieved to hear that. All right, shall we move into our favorite quotes? Uh, sure. Sarah, do you want to go first as our guest star? Sure. Guest star. Yeah, that's me. Um, mm-hmm. So my favorite parts of the movie were the direct parodies of Bond. And my favorite instance of that was when Dr. Evil is sort of letting Austin Powers into this elaborate trap and then doing nothing. So when Dr. Evil says, I'm going to place him in an easily escapable situation involving an overly elaborate and exotic death uh, is my favorite quote. Mm -hmm. Um, I also appreciate when Scott, his son, subsequently says, you know, we can shoot him together. It'll be fun. Bang. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, we got to see a little bit of villainy in Scott, too. Mm -hmm. Evil isn't just in a name. Uh, so my favorite is from number two, from around the same period. Well, I think it's a little bit later in the movie, but it, he's like, I was going to have a profile in force. You, like an idiot, wanted to take over the world. And you don't realize there is no more world. It's only corporations. Strikes a little close to home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I also appreciate it. Like, I really like the, like, the Bond one-liners, like all four of them. Mm. <laughs> but I've already mm -hmm. said them, so. Right. Yeah. And I have two. I have when Will Ferrell dies, he says, I'm still alive, but very badly burned. <laughs> <laughs> and then also the part with the fembots where the fembots do their thing. And then Dr. Evil says, I like to see girls of that caliber. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the caliber. Yeah. But then he goes and explains it and ruins it. I like whatever. that. I like what he explains. It's homonym. <laughs> Yeah, I like the count. Right. I agree with you, Zach, yeah. Okay, so now is the part we've all been waiting for, which is our ratings on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being a horrible, terrible spy movie, and 10 being the best spy movie you've ever seen. How do you guys rate Austin Powers 1, International Man of Mystery? All right. Sarah, do you want to go first? Sure. I think that there is a solid 15 minutes of excellent... James Bond parody and the remaining whatever 80 minutes that are left are uh, jokes that I don't necessarily appreciate or sort of sort of straight up womanizing. So, but if we take that 15 minutes, I think that would be that would be great. So I give it a three out of 10 martini. All right. Zach, you want to go next? This movie is difficult to rate. So there's a lot of things <laughs> that I didn't like, like the very obvious sexism. Uh -huh. But there were a lot of jokes that I laughed at, whether I hated myself for laughing at them or not. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff to like. There's a lot of stuff to dislike. It's hard to rate. I will give it a five out of 10 because it ends up kind of somewhere in the middle for me. So I, I do enjoy this movie mainly for its parody. And I think I, I'm going to take a more generous opinion. I think there's more than 15 minutes of good parody <laughs> in it. Mm -hmm. And although I will say this is not my favorite Austin Powers movie. I really like the third one, actually. But there's time travel involved to go to the 70s and also modern day. So this didn't really fit into our retrospective. And maybe we'll cover it at a later date. Mm -hmm. But being a fan of the Bond films, I enjoy the parodies of it. And I think it does a good thing where it, it's not just parodies. It tries to be a, a little, you know, it's, its own thing. Like he's not, even though they do parodies of Bond, the character, like the whole thing with the bad teeth and everything, there's like more beyond just being like a carbon copy Bond parody copy. So I appreciate that. But also, yeah, obviously there's a lot of <laughs> problems with the way it treats women. So I'm going to give it a six out of 10. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like Flint is much more like an analog of Bond mm -hmm. than Austin Powers was. Oh, yeah. So I we talked about it, like, I guess two weeks ago in In Like Flint, where I mentioned that there was a reason I wanted I specifically picked In Like Flint as opposed to Our Man Flint. And I thought it was in this movie, but apparently it's in the next movie. In, like, the first five minutes of the next movie, Austin Powers is watching In Like Flint and says, it's my favorite movie. Oh, I see. Yeah. So That's you can why. see where they got their ideas from. There's a Sounds lot like. of influence from there, yeah. All right, well, thanks for joining us, Sarah, on your second time on the podcast. Where can people find you? Thanks very much for having me. You can find me on Twitter at Sarah is Actually for Geekitude and Feminist Propaganda. Yeah. And thank you, all of our guests, for joining us. 
You can find us on social media at the Spy Five Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the Spy Five Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. The theme music is by Jer Fitzgerald and Big Man Joe. Media reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Five Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.